You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. What do you think of when you hear the word submission? You get goosebumps with excitement? Probably not. Do you get goosebumps of defensiveness and concern? Maybe. Would you rather not hear about the word submission? Probably. But we're going to. In fact, in 1 Peter, as we looked at already this year, four times Peter addresses submission and the relationships and the tensions within submission in his letter. He talks about doing submission to human institutions like the government. He talked about uh, vocational and social uh, uh, submission. He talked about submission within marriage, and he talked about even submission within the church to the elders. And two observations just simply on thinking about that. First, submission is an aspect of God's way of doing relationships. It's a piece of how God designed relationships. Uh, It's in the scripture all over the place. Secondly, it must be important, and it must be hard, and that's why it's addressed so many times in Scripture. Most of us struggle with submission in one way or another, or one relationship or another. Um, In fact, this week I asked our home community, why is it that people resist submission in relationships? And they came up with a variety of answers. Ones like pride. People are just proud that, you know, if I submit to other people, then they'll think I'm weak or or a loser, or something like that. Sometimes there's fear. Sometimes there's fear that if we uh, a submission, um, if we submit to other people and whatever the relationship that might be, uh, they might take advantage of us. They might hurt us. Uh, we all have stories about relationships. There was submission, dysfunctional or even abusive. Things went wrong. Therefore, we fear submission. One of the other ones that was interesting. One of the people said, uh, "We have trouble with submission because of a lack of trust." We, we have a lack of trust. We, you know, people, I don't think that I can submit to this person because I'm not convinced they have my best interests in mind. Interestingly, uh, Chris brought that out. That's one reason why we struggle with our relationship with God. We're not quite sure that God has our best interests in mind. One of the ones that caught me off guard, somebody says, um, I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. Uh, how relationships functions with submission was imposed on me by God. And, and I, didn't, I didn't agree to it. It's just the way it is. And I have to learn to function with it. I thought that was insightful. I also was reading a quote this week by a guy named Tim Challies on his blog. And he gave some insight into why we struggle with submission. He says this, Submission is a tricky concept made all the more difficult by our naturally sinful rebellion to the very notion of it. Submission is simply acknowledging sources of authority and arranging ourselves accordingly. It's a great definition of submission. I'll repeat it. Submission is simply acknowledging sources of authority and arranging ourselves accordingly. I'll continue. However, we are all quite convinced that we can get along perfectly well without yielding to authority. We understand how others might need that kind of leadership, but we sure don't. This rebellion begins in infancy and continues to death. And this is the part that just caught my attention in reading this. We hate to submit to people because we hate to submit to God. 
We hate to submit to people because we hate to submit to God. Just as submission to people is a facet of our submission to God, rebellion against people is a facet of our rebellion against God. I think that's extremely insightful. Shouldn't be shocking if you've been in a church for a lot of years, but I think it's helpful for us to get to that. These insights make, make it our understanding of submission a little more easy. But let's just pause for a minute. I was thinking about this word. The word submission, the word itself, submission, it's actually a compound word. This is a prefix, sub, right? And this is a word, mission. What it, sub, it's, it mean, it, the word submission comes from the Latin, submissio, the, the prefix sub, which is a common use in our language, is the meaning of under, below, beneath, such as a submarine goes below the surface of the water, right? Missio, from Latin, means literally a sending off, a sending off. But it came quickly to mean more than that, but it's like a sending off to do something for somebody else. And we use the word in our language for like a common one would be like a military mission, a mission that they're going to go bomb that bridge or whatever. That's the mission. There's a purpose. They're sent off to accomplish something for somebody else. That's what the word means. It means that's what it means. Submission is to be under the purpose of a relationship, whether civil, vocational, marriage, or the church. It is to be underneath that purpose. Challey said, submission is simply acknowledging the source of authority and arranging ourselves accordingly. That's why I think it's a good definition of that. As Christians, submissions, submission means to be under God's purpose and for particular relationships in light of the gospel and to arrange ourselves accordingly. That's what we mean by Christian submission. Because of that, I'm going to be a little bold here and say, I would like to propose that submission is an expression of our faith. Submission, how we submit to both people and God, is an expression of our faith. Faith is an, our faith, as we'll look at a little later, is not fully understanding something, but is a confident trust in someone or something. Biblical faith is not just belief or mental assent or mental agreement with something. And belief is always expressed in our attitudes and our actions. These attitudes and actions are simply submission to what we are believing in. Three reasons that these submissions is an expression of faith. It aligns well with the definition of sub, underneath the purpose, submission, and underneath God's, and God's um, purpose. Um, we, we hate to, and, and Charlie said, we hate to submit to people because we hate to submit to God. We, we have faith in God, but if we are rebellious against God, that's not faith in God. But also, the main reason that caught my attention that faith is associated with submission is that it's addressed lots of times in Scripture that way. In fact, we'll find that the faith in the, uh, faith in the New Testament is linked to expression of our faith, in not just of God, but particularly in Christ. Faith in Christ and submission in Christ go hand in hand. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We'll see how it goes. We're going to, I'm going to exegete, I'm going to look through two passages of Scripture simultaneously. Okay? Okay, we'll just give this a shot. I'm doing this for two reasons. First of all, we're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. In this way, Paul's talking about submission within the church context. 
We're also going to look at 1 Peter 2, where Peter is talking about submission and functioning that way in a hostile, non-Christian context. And in, here's my point, why I want to put them both side by side. They, even though there's different situations of submission, we will see that the gospel answers to our struggles of submission is through our faith in Christ. Both of them, Paul and Peter, present the same answer to our struggle with submission. So we're going to do this. So what we're going to do in a few minutes, is we're going to, in, in a second, is we're going to read both passages of Scripture. So I'm going to read the first half of it. We're going to read the first half of Philippians, and then I'm going to give a very brief explanation. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the human part of submission. We're going to spend time on their answer to that. And then I'm going to do the same with, with uh, 1 Peter. Here's my big idea. Here's my point of the message. If you get one thing, this is it, okay? Say it now. I'm going to repeat it a dozen times. But this is it. Faith in Christ is submission to Christ as our model, as our mediator, and as our master. The big idea is faith in Christ is submission to Christ. Faith in Christ is submission to Christ. Will you stand with me as we read these passages of Scripture? We'll start with the Philippians 2 passage, and we'll read the first four verses. So then, if you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let's just pause here. What's he talking about? Quick summary. If we, are to, if we understand the gospel, we all of us as a church are to be like-minded, loving each other, have unity, all of which is expressed in sacrificial service to each other. Well, he goes on. So, okay, well, how do we do that? Now we'll continue, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and taken the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let's go to the first Peter 2 passages, reading, reading verses 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters in all respects, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, my, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Right? Yes. Summary, what's the issue here? What's he dressing? Suffering unjustly in a vocational, a social or employment situation is likely for Christians. We saw that in 1 Peter. God knows this and even expects it. But God views this as an opportunity to experience his grace. Again, how is that possible? He answers the reason how. 
verses 21 through 25. For, for to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that, he might die to, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. I pray that we can have a glimpse of the awesomeness of Christ, the provision you have for us in him, but also our response of submission and faith, hand in hand, flip sides of the same coin. We thank you for this, Lord, and ask your spirit to give us insight. In your name, amen. You may have a seat. Faith in Christ is submission to Christ, first of all, as our model, as our model. Faith in Christ is submission to Christ as our model. Now remember the context of Philippians 2, church unity, sacrificial love. Well, how do we get there? How do we, how do we get to that we're functioning as a whole in that way? Well, Paul tells us we submit to Christ as our model. Well, where do we see this? We see this in verse 5. In verse 5 of Philippians 2. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Paul is, is saying, All of you are to think about things in light of what you know about Christ. To accomplish these things, unity and love and service, model yourselves after Christ. And then he then goes on, and in a few minutes we'll look at, he describes what that looks like. But his point here is, you want to have those things? Think about all this in light of what you know and following Christ. In the first Peter context, suffering unjustly in social settings. That's the context. And, and how do we handle this? Well, Peter told us, submit, submit, submit to Christ as our model. And see this in verse 21, verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. How do we function well in difficult situations and relationships? Well, Christ is our model. Submit to Christ as our model. And that verse there in 21, that's a great definition of what, it, what we mean by a model, a pattern, a way of doing things. It's an example, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus did it this way. You do it that way. He did these steps. You do those steps. It's a directive to, su to submit um, by imitating. It's a pattern to be imitated. That's what a model is in this, in this context. And it's found in a variety of places without the, in the Bible as a whole, but in the New Testament in particular. For example, in 1 Corinthians 10 uh, through 11, 1, Paul says this. He says, So whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And give no offense to the Jews or the Greek or the church of God. And just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So what's he saying? I'm trying to live my life for the glory of God. Everything I do for the glory of God. I'm not trying to offend people unnecessarily, and I'm trying to serve as many as I can so I win them to Christ. What, what does that look like, Paul? How do, what are you talking about? 
He tells us the very next verse. How do you know how to do that? Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, excuse me, 11.1. 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is on a mission to reach people with the gospel. He asks us to join him in imitating Christ. He is already doing that. He asks us to join him in doing that, submitting to Christ as our model. And at first glance, let's be honest, this seems a little audacious, doesn't it? If, if we say to people, hey, you know what? You need to follow me as I follow Christ. We go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're a little full of yourself, aren't you? Right? We would think that. But if we stop and think, why did Paul say this? Not only here, but other places. Well, Paul knows that we all follow patterns. We all follow models. When he described the sin, what sin looks like in our lives in Ephesians 2, he did it by how we follow models. or cor- Use the word courses. But it's the same thing, following those steps, following those patterns. He says we follow the pattern of the world, or we follow the pattern of Satan, or we follow the pattern of our own passionate desires. So we're always following patterns. We're always fo- imitating somebody or something. So Paul says, well, if we're going to do that, let's at least imitate Christ. And I'm doing the best I can, so I'm even trying to be a living example. You guys follow my example. And if you, and if you think about this as, as that way, it is not as audacious as it seems. It's not as audacious as it seems. And if you think maybe imitating Christ is bold, how about Paul saying to this to us in Ephesians 5, 1, in Ephesians 5, 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. How's that one? Just be imitators of God. That's kind of a high bar, isn't it? Be imitators of God. But yet, he goes on and explains in just a couple, verses, a couple words what he means. In the second part of that verse, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. That's the key. We're not just out there trying to, be, trying to be little gods. We're God's very, very much loved children. And we are to imitate our Heavenly Father. That's a very different way of understanding it. It's a helpful clarification and analogy. And the primary aspect, we know this if we're parents. We know this. The primary aspect of the child and, and parent relationship is modeling. Parents want to, or intend to, model what they want their children to become, right? But it's hard work, isn't it? Or maybe just for me, okay, but it's hard work. The reality is one of the things that makes parenting challenging is modeling, that our children see us. And unfortunately, the, 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 the phrase, actions speak louder than words, is true, isn't it? Isn't it? Unfortunately, we as humans can also model the wrong things. We can also model the things we don't want our children to become. I don't know how many times I've been in the presence of parents, specifically of little children, and the child lets loose with a swear word, and the parent's shock is, where the bleep did they learn that? <laughs> right? They model us all the time. How do they model us? They're around us. They're listening to us. They admire us, especially if they know we love them. And that's what God's saying, how we imitate him. We know we're loved. We're around him, we see what he does, and we try to do the things that he does for us. Paul goes on and says this, we're beloved children. It's a very strong word. And this, this is not love that we earn. 
It's not that our acceptance just comes because we're good little children. No, we get the love before we're even children of God. And therefore, we respond in submitting to him. Our submission is an act of worship, an act of affirmation. It's part of our devotional faith to God as we look in this series. And Paul goes on, he says, well, well, as beloved children, what are we supposed to do in order to be imitators of God? Can you help us out a little bit more, Paul? Very next verse, he says this in Ephesians 5, 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does it look like to walk or live in love? Oh, follow Christ the Son's example. Walk the way he did as a sacrifice, loving others at great expense. That's what it looks like to be a beloved child of God and imitate him. And notice the description of his love. Christ giving himself up as a sacrifice. This leads us to the second way we submit to Christ. We submit faith in Christ is submission to Christ as our model, but also as our mediator. Also as our mediator. Also as our mediator. A mediator is not a word we use a lot necessarily in a language, and it's a very specific thing in the scripture. Mediator is a person who functions as a go-between and brings two parties that are separated and estranged from the others. They work to bring them together. The mediator does together, and usually because of hostility. And, and the, the uniqueness about a mediator, a really good one, is that they have links to both parties. They have, they have an identity with both parts, and therefore they can listen and understand both, and they can also bridge that gap of hostility. Well, we know from the gospel, we know from the gospel, in God's infinite wisdom, Jesus was fully human and fully God. He was, he was the perfect and the only mediator to bridge the gap between our rebellion and God's holiness and his wrath against that rebellion. We see this in Philippians 2 and 1 Peter 2. This is the way he says. So he said in verse 5 of Philippians 2, he said, I want you to think this way. I want you to have this mind in you. As you follow Christ's example, do it. He says, okay, well, give us, if we're supposed to follow Christ as our model, what does that model look like, Paul? He tells us this in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. He says, who then, who is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, by taking the form of a servant and being born, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what it looks like to follow his model. And in the first Peter, he said that we are to, uh, um, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you may follow in his steps. Again, what does that look like? What steps, Peter? He says... Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he is reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And both of those, is the, both answers to what it means to follow Christ as a model is to look at him and his life as the mediator for living a life of suffering, to living a life where he came and identified with suffering humans and then took on sin and paid the price for it. He's not asking us to take on sin and pay for the price for it. It's the modeling of what he did. 
that we're to look to. And both of these, both of these descriptions, we're not, there's so much there for both of them, but we're going to just highlight one thing. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. That's submission. It says he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's submission. Submission. What are we following Jesus in doing? Being under the mission or under the purpose of God in saving people and redeeming the world. That's what the mission is. What, what, are, the, what are these verses telling us? Well, there's, there's many things packed in these verses that we're not going to look at today. But there's one thing that's very, very easy for us to overlook. Jesus, God the Son, submitted to God the Father in coming into humanity and dying for our sin. Okay? Pretty straightforward. Make sure we catch the significance of this in our discussion on submission. The Trinitarian God is one God in three persons, by definition. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Trinity, we say it this way. The doctrine of the Trinity affirms that God's, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God's whole and undivided essence belongs equally, eternally, simultaneously, and fully to each of these distinct three persons of the Godhead. Okay? So, okay. The Scripture tells us that God the Father sent the Son into the world and and, and to be completely human and to die for sin. The Father did the sending. The Son did the going. They had different roles and responsibilities. The Son submitted to the Father. Submission is willingly yielding to the authority and the direction of another. In this case, the Son yielding to the Father's will. All that to say this. This is the big takeaway. Don't miss what this means. Submission is an acknowledgement of role and responsibility. It is not an acknowledgement of personal worth or value. Jesus did not submit to the Father because he was worth less, or he was less God. He was equally God with the Father, and yet he submitted to the Father. The Son is equal to the Father in every way except roles and responsibilities within the Trinity. Jesus' submission to the Father did not make him less God. It did not embarrass Jesus. It did not make him feel weak or a loser. He did not do it resentfully. He did not do it reluctantly. In fact, We are told that Jesus submitted to the design, to the order, and the process of God's plan of redemption, saving the world through his death and resurrection, and he did it willingly and joyfully. And it's an act of submission. Jesus submitted to the Father joyfully. This is a significant implication to us when we struggle with submission within human relationships, whether it's civil or in marriage or in employment or a school or even the church. When we stop and think about this definition of submission, first we know that we've seen Christ is our model of what it looks like. When we are faced with submission, how did Christ submit? What did it look like and mean for him? That's what it can mean for us. We can submit to others because we recognize their role and responsibilities, not because they're better than us, smarter, morally better, anything like that. That's not why we need to submit. Our submission is not, not about our being inferior, weaker, devalued in any way. Our submission is to be on submission, under the purpose for which God has created that particular relationship. 
Again, whether civil or employment or marriage or church. There's another aspect of this faith in Christ, this submission to Christ as our mediator that I don't want to let go. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. We're saved through faith. Abba, I'm trying to say that our faith is expressed through our submission. So are we saved through submission? Faith, as one author put it, is an attitude of the heart that is expressed as the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. When we come to Christ in faith, we essentially say, I give up. I will not depend on myself or my own good works any longer. I know that I can never make myself right before God. Therefore, Jesus, I trust you and depend on you completely to give me the righteous standing before God. That's what saving faith or saving submission looks like. Submitting to the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins as a mediator is saving faith. Do you have that kind of saving faith? Do you have that kind of saving faith? Have you submitted to the gospel message that you are separated from God and deserving his wrath because of your sin and that the only solution for this is Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection on your behalf as your mediator? Please be clear on this. This saving faith is an issue of submission, not simply that we understand something or agree to the facts of it. A common misunderstanding of faith is that we believe as if if we know that it's true, that's faith. That's not saving faith. We know that because the Bible talks about it all over the place. If faith is not just, we think, I believe there's a God. I believe Jesus lived. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus is a mediator. Those are all true. But you know who else believes that? Demons. Demons believe all those things. Right? James says, so you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. How many demons are reconciled to God? How many demons are saved? How many demons are going to spend an eternity in heaven with God? To my knowledge, zero. But they believe. But they don't have saving faith. There's a difference. They don't submit to Christ as mediator. They know he's the mediator. They recognized it before the people did in the Gospels. But they do not submit to him as such. They do not have that kind of faith. The, the Jewish leaders confronted Jesus, and Jesus said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that through them you have eternal life. And is that they that bear witness to me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. What was the issue there? They knew the Bible inside out. They knew all the truths. They believed the truth. They did not have faith in Christ. They did not submit to Christ. There's a huge difference there. So I ask you again, do you have that kind of saving faith? A faith that is the submission to, coming underneath the purpose of Christ as mediator and yielding to that, and as Charlie said, aligning yourself with that reality. Faith in Christ is submission to Christ as our mediator. 
Paul says in Romans, he says this, he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with the heart that we believe, believes and is justified, and it is with the mouth that we confess and are saved. And this leads us this idea that he is Lord, and he's also this combination of confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in our heart, yielding our heart in submission to him, those combination, heart and Lord, leads us to our third point. Faith in Christ is a submission to Christ as our model, as our mediator, and as our master. As our master. I forgot to put Jesus in here, didn't I? There. He's not a paleo diet. That's why he's so thin. So. Okay. Both Paul and Peter described how Jesus is our mediator. And because of this, Jesus is also our Lord and Master. Where do we get this? Philippians 2. He described his humiliation. And now this is what the result is. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First Peter 2, verse 25 says this, after the same kind of thing, you follow his example as he becomes your mediator, for you were strained like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Let's, let's take, make, just make a couple observations about both these passages, about Jesus being our master. Let me read again to you uh, the, the Philippians 2 verses. And as I do, I want you to listen to who it is who's going to confess Jesus is Lord. Okay? As I read it, listen to the who is going to be doing this confession. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who is going to confess Jesus is Lord? Everybody. All humanity. Everybody is going to confess Jesus is Lord. Don't don't miss the significance of this. Every person who has ever lived, ever will live, in any location, any part of the world, every single person will confess Jesus as Lord, as Master. That's the conclusion of that. And, and And there are only two points when they will do this, right? They will either, people will either submit to Jesus as Master willingly, as a response to the gospel, or they will confess Jesus as Lord um, on the day of judgment. Those are the only two options. But everyone will confess Jesus as Lord. That Jesus is Lord is not an option from which we choose or deny. He is. Rather, it is a reality to acknowledge. A reality to acknowledge. The only question is for us, not if or Jesus is Lord, but, but is this, when will we acknowledge it? Now or later? But we will acknowledge it. And the timing has eternal 
consequences. In the second Peter passage, he says this. Peter uses imagery of a sheep and a shepherd to describe the relationship with Jesus uh, at the conclusion of that. And although the word master and Lord are not in that phrase, his use of the, of the shepherd and overseer of your souls has, carries the same understanding, the same meaning. Most of us are not from agrarian backgrounds, okay? But we get what he's trying to say, why he says this, if we stop to think about it for a while. We can still understand that sheep don't shop around for a shepherd that they like so they can follow him, do they? Okay? We understand that sheep don't form committees to decide what they want the shepherd to do for them, do they? No. No. Do, the sheep don't listen to the master in one area of their life and then ignore them in other areas of their life. Do they? No. That shepherd is the overseer of their souls. That master has an eternal view of their lives. What do you call sheep who do not submit to their master? Dead sheep. Dead sheep. We forget that sometimes. But Peter wants us to understand that. Recently, I was reading an excerpt from a sermon on Acts 2, and, Peter, and this is where Peter's preaching the very first public sermon. And, he's, and, he's, and he, this preacher is addressing this verse 36 in chapter 2. He says, Let all of house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the preacher now is talking about this verse, and I'm going to read just a couple of things from him. He says this, Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord over all, it means Jesus is my Lord. That's what you're saying when you confess Jesus is Lord. You're saying, Jesus can call the shots in my life. Jesus can tell me how I should think about myself, about my marriage, and about the world. Jesus is the one who has all the authority in heaven and earth, not me. I am not an autonomous creature. I live to serve this master. That's what you're saying when you say Jesus is Lord. And then he went on. No matter what we say, let's be clear about one thing. Jesus is Christ and Lord whether we think he is or not. He's not asking for your vote. He's not standing there hat in hand just saying, will somebody down there please sing a song to me? I'm so lonely. He does not depend on me or my affirmation of him. He's in heaven. He's at the God's right hand. He governs the church by his word and spirit. And no matter what any of us think or believe or decide, Jesus is now and forever will be Lord and Christ. He is not begging for you to be his Facebook friend or begging for more followers on Twitter. To be sure, Jesus issues a gracious invitation. But it's not because he needs, but because he loves. I thought those were very insightful words. Faith in Christ is submission to Christ as our model, as our mediator, and our master. Now a few closing summary statements. First of all, in this picture, I, I, like, I visually like diagramming things, helps me remember things and put things together. And I have in my study of a notebook, where I've been studying this for a while, I have lists of Scripture here, lists of Scripture here, lists of Scripture here. 
I also have lists of scriptures that I put them in the corners because this leads to this, which leads to this, which leads to this. Numerous, numerous times, filled pages of scriptures with that kind of stuff. I didn't go through it all. You're welcome, okay? But here's the thing. All three of these go together. All three of these go together. Uh, They are all true, and they are all interrelated. We don't get just choose, I want Christ to be my mediator because I want to be forgiven, but I'm uncomfortable with the master and the model part. There's whole segments of people who call themselves Christians who land really hard. Let's follow Jesus. Let's live like Jesus lived. But I don't need a mediator. There's no such thing as the wrath of God, so I don't need him to be that. I'll just love like Jesus loved. No, no, no. Biblically, it doesn't work that way. The gospel does not work that way. It all goes together. For those who submit to the gospel message, this is the second point. For those who submit to the gospel message, this is true for eternity. This is true. It's for us. We will always be growing in our understanding, appreciation for, experiencing the benefits of these things for eternity. Submission, submission, to be under the purpose of relationships. This gives meaning to that. That's, what I've been, that's my point today. So, whenever you find yourself struggling with submitting to a human relationship, government, employment, school, home, church, whatever it is, when you find yourself struggling for it, and you might have very good reasons, that's not the point. I encourage you to pause and spend some prayerful time thinking about your submission to Christ as your model, as your mediator, and as your master. As Charlie said in the beginning quote, he said, just as submission to people is a facet of our submission to God, rebellion against people is a facet of our rebellion against God. Work through that. Know what it means to be submitted to Christ, expressing your faith and submission to Christ. Ponder that, meditate that, talk to others about that, and then reevaluate your submission to the human relationship. That's my point. And we remind ourselves of this every week by taking communion. Every week we are reminded his blood broken for us, his life, his life lived for us, his resurrection, he, he's not here anymore. So therefore, we celebrate that Christ is, every week in communion, we celebrate him as our model, our mediator, and our master. If you have a saving faith in Christ as I defined it, you have submitted to the knowledge that Christ died for your sins, we encourage you to come up and take communion. Come up, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine or juice as you see fit, as best for you. And then, and then we encourage you to pray, and I'm going to ask you simply give thanks to him in whatever way you want, that you are expressing your faith and your submission to Christ as your model, mediator, and master. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your commitment. And we thank you exactly for your example, the provision, the oversight, all those things because we're your beloved children. We do not earn them. We do not deserve them. 
and that you shower us with the blessings of your grace and mercy and Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it. I pray as we move from here, we will not just listen to words, but submission will take on a new meaning. Not because we heard a message from Royce, but because we heard the gospel preached. And we will submit to that. I pray that we can be a people of submission. A people who are underneath the mission and purpose of the gospel in our own lives, in our families, in our church, in our community. May people know that we are people of submission. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.